Welcome to the Wellbeing for Real Life podcast. Have you ever wanted to live life better, but found yourself baffled, bewildered, and bored by complicated, confusing, and condescending advice? This podcast is the antidote. I'm Dr. Richard Pyle, GP, lifestyle medicine specialist, and author of Fit for Purpose. Each episode, I'm joined by leading experts as we explore different areas that affect our everyday lives. This is the Wellbeing for Real Life podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wellbeing for Real Life. Today, we're talking about movement. I'm Dr. Richard Pyle, GP with a special interest in cardiovascular and lifestyle medicine and author of Fit for Purpose. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. Asim Malhotra. Asim, for those who haven't listened before, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a consultant cardiologist. I qualified um, from Edinburgh Medical School in 2001, so I've been practicing in the NHS for almost two decades. I'm a proponent of lifestyle medicine, such as like yourself. I'm also a visiting professor of evidence-based medicine. And my personal mission is to save lives a million at a time. Thank you, Asim. Now, one of the things we like to do on the podcast is to start off by making it personal and giving examples of things in our lives that we're pretty happy about with regard to this topic and areas where we might like to improve. As listeners may recall, last time I asked you to go first when we were talking about sleep. So I'll do it today. In terms of movement in my life, the thing that I'm quite pleased with is that I really enjoy what people might think of as the physical activity or exercise side. So I've had quite a good routine. I managed to go out for a run usually once or twice a week. And I particularly like catching up with, with my friend. We, we go for a cycle ride together at weekends. The thing I'm not so good at is that the challenge that's thrown up by my job, and, and you may share this problem, I don't know, but because it's quite a, a sedentary job sitting at a desk all day, talking to or seeing patients, sometimes, depending on the business of the day, I really struggle to keep that movement going throughout the day. From your perspective, Asim, are there things that you are pleased with um, or yeah, like to work on? Absolutely. I think I've always been very active, Richard, since I was a kid. So I think uh, for me, um, I'm pretty obsessive, it's probably the right word to use, about my activity. I've got my routine that I tend to get my gym and you know, workout out in the morning pretty much uh, not long after I've woken up. I'll, I'll either go for a walk or I'll go to the gym. I think like you as well, especially when I'm doing my writing and my academic work, we're spending quite a long time sitting down and sometimes staring at a laptop and writing, then it, it can be a little bit more challenging to then keep that ongoing movement throughout the day. But I make it a point to ensure that I'm not sitting for more than 45 minutes at a time. I think there's some data about um, mm. that is actually the cutoff point where things start to affect you uh, in an adverse way when it comes to physical health. So even if it means getting up every 45 minutes and doing a few squats or having a little bit of stretch or a walk, then I will make, I'll be proactive about that. But uh, overall, I'm very happy with you know my activity levels. I'm pretty, very active. I think the, if anything, sometimes I probably overdo it. If I've not slept great, I'll still carry on doing my routine. So I open myself up to more injuries. I think that's probably, for me, it's not about being underactive. It's actually being overactive at times. That's a really interesting point, and we'll get onto that. But one of my things I feel very strongly about is that movement, even though it is a miracle cure for and a preventer of many things, should be taken in the right dose. In fact, the first time that you and I met face to face, which I think was two or three years ago now, I think it was for a, a coffee in a in a cafe in, in Hampstead, and 
I was able to recognize you not by the rose that you were having in your lapel, but by the fact that you had your foot in a cast or a boot, didn't you? Because you just managed to rupture your Achilles, which I think was a, a sporting-related injury. Yeah, yeah, it was actually. I uh, This happened in the, it was, I think, end of July 2019. So, God, we're coming up to almost two years now. And it was actually playing, you know, people can laugh, but um, it was playing badminton with my father, okay, who actually is a very good player. And I, you know, I played very competitively at school. I captained school, you know, uh, sports teams and that kind of thing. And uh, I hadn't played for about 10 years, but I did it on the day after I'd had a very heavy personal training session with my PT and I'd done a, a kind of heavy leg workout and it should have been, he would have said the same, tomorrow's your day off. But we happened to be, you know, badminton court, we hadn't played for a while, thought it'd be fun. And, you know, 50 minutes into a very intense game, I just mm. remember hearing that classic medical textbook gunshot sound while simultaneously felt like someone kicked me in the back of the leg and instinctively you look around because you think what's going on and there was nobody there and my brain just went oh god mm. my Achilles is gone I've ruptured my Achilles complete snap of that tendon so yeah that is that was definitely you know some, some of these things are just bad luck but it was a reflection of my body was not you know in a full recovery state and then I was vulnerable to this sort of injury we can get back to the, to the dose again later but if we if we wind it back a bit before so it's, this is a topic that you and I I think you know both feel very strongly about I've heard it said quotes like inactivity is the new smoking and that and that movement is the the miracle cure there was a joint royal college document that was a, that talked about that so from your perspective what's the evidence for that just in terms of the harms of inactivity and the benefits of more activity yeah so I think it's a really interesting topic when they talk about inactivity being the new smoking, they're really talking about very extreme levels of inactivity, literally somebody not doing anything and just sitting in the house all day. We all do some level of activity. I think the key thing from that is just having the understanding and realization that just moderate amounts and, you know, the, and the World Health Organization and, you know, UK Chief Medical Officer Physical Activity Guidelines suggests that we need to get 150 minutes or two and a half hours of moderate activity a week, which can be broken down into, for example, you know, 30-minute brisk walk five times a week. And I think that's really the crucial sort of number, if you like, that people need to re remember. Because once you get beyond that, there isn't a massive benefit, certainly in terms of longevity and heart disease, of increasing activity levels beyond that. So if you get the basic, you know, up to that level, the problem is about 40% of people in this country are not achieving that. So about 60% of people in the UK are meeting those guidelines, but 40% are not. And that's, that's, that's a problem. That's an issue. It does increase the risk being inactive and sedentary does increase the risk of many chronic diseases, whether it's heart disease, type two diabetes, high blood pressure, certainly, you know, dementia, cancer, you know, every disease under the sun is certainly linked to being sedentary, but at the same time, increasing one's activity levels can certainly mitigate or reduce the risk of developing these conditions as well, irrespective of what your weight is as well as the demonstrable harms of, of inactivity, there's really good data out there that supports the benefits of it as well. Um, one of my favourite YouTube videos is um, 23 and a Half Hours by Dr. I think Mike Evans, and it, it describes a miracle cure or a treatment without naming it to start with, and it looks at how it improves recovery from surgery, symptom control and arthritis, recovery rates uh, or prevention rates for cancer and particularly for treating um, depression as well and I think sometimes people don't always think about the importance of the physical activity side of things when it comes to something that they view as more a, a mental health issue. 
Yes. And that, that connection between the two, I think, can be really important for people for to sure. understand. I mean, for me, I think one of the main reasons, not about physical health, for me, the routine of my exercise actually is mental. I, I actually become, I feel better, I'm more creative, my brain just, just functions better. And yeah, it does mm. seem to have, there is evidence that for mild depression, for example, physical activity certainly can be as good as taking antidepressants. I think the only, again, the nuance we need to throw in there is these are in people who are already deficient in their activity levels. If you're already doing moderate activity levels, increasing it is probably not going to have that much of an effect. And in fact, there is a downside, you know, and we shouldn't ignore this, of people who are overtraining and do too much. That can actually lead to burnout, sleep deprivation, and cause depression. So, mm. you know, the, the, it's about um, a little activity goes a long way. But I think, you know, there are, because of the advent of gyms in the last 10 to 20 years, there's actually a lot of people who are within that 60% category who are actually probably excessively exercising, not just increasing the risk of injury, but not realizing that they are increasing their cortisol levels, especially if they're not getting good sleep and they're not getting adequate nutrition. It can have a very detrimental effect and you can send you the wrong way. And I've experienced that myself. I've actually gone through those, those periods as well because I've not been recovering enough or spending enough time with sleep and carried on doing the same amounts. It's actually had a detrimental effect on my body. Of course, we want to encourage people to get the basics and get the minimum, but we should also be aware of the downsides as well of overdoing it. I mean, you make an excellent point there. One of the things that I, that I write about and, and talk about to my patients is the category that you first mentioned, people who are completely inactive. And actually, the, the vast majority, or the, at least 30 to 40% of the benefits in terms of reduced risk of illness and death come to those who go from being completely inactive to just mildly active. Absolutely. And if I could only reach out to and help one group of patients, one section of the population, it would be those people who literally need to take their first step off the couch yes. and, and, and go for that 10-minute walk. Some of the enthusiasts, that the converted, who are already running 5K and, and enjoy parkrun every week or like running up and down mountains or doing ultra-endurance events, I think if they enjoy that, that's great, but they aren't necessarily going to live any longer. No. Professor Sir David Spiegelhalter writes about that in his book, The Norm Chronicles, and he talks about micro-lifes and micro-morts and the things that you can do that either extend your life or shorten it. And I think your comment about, about that is well made. So if we try to keep it simple, we've touched on the idea of the dose, the fact that there's a dose-response curve, we should get it right, and that starting with a small dose is, gives you the most bang for your buck. If you're talking to someone in your clinic about activity and they say, I don't have time, Dr. Mahotra, for, for activity and, and I'm allergic to lycra. How do you broach that subject practically? What, what, how do you support them? What do you come back at them with when they, when they no, produce that kind of statement? I, I first of all tell them about the benefits of it and that they will feel better mentally. So I try and justify to give them an incentive that why they're going to feel better. It's not just about a long-term potential adding a couple of years to your life expectancy. It's about actually your quality of life. So I'm telling them that this is going to improve their quality of life. And then I, I ask them, what, you know, what do you enjoy? Do what you enjoy. I think that's crucial. But the simple thing that everyone can do, which is free, is going for a walk, right? So just making that effort. And I say you can, you know, you can make time. Instead of the extra 30 minutes watching TV, just use that to go for a walk. And I also try and say, do it in small steps. So I'll say, just do it. Just, you know, can you do it for me? Just do it. Can you do it for a month? Just do it for a few weeks. Just try this for a few weeks and mm. see how you end it. And if you're not feeling any better, great, fine. Go back to whatever. Although I'd encourage you to keep being active. But often, more often than not, they come back and they'll just say, oh, actually, it's made a big difference. Thank you. In fact, I find other aspects of my life, quality of life have improved now as well. 
you know, maybe they're sleeping better or because we know even a little bit of moderate activity, not high intensity activity, but moderate, you know, low intensity, regular activity actually also seems to have an effect on reducing stress hormones as well. So, you know, one of the things that it can help with is actually improving people's sleep. Again, the downside is when you're doing high intensity stuff, if your sleep is particularly bad, it will get worse. And again, I don't want to stress this too much, Richard, but I increasingly seeing some of my patients, cardiac patients, people having heart attacks in their 40s who are slim but overactive. They are doing 10 hours a week, a lot of high intensity stuff. And that is the only thing we can identify as being triggering their heart attack. So, you know, I'm also worried about the overdose scenario. And I think some of this is also an addiction, like a drug for some people, that they, they're so active that there's, endor- there's this sort of endorphins and the dopamine hit they get from their activity is driving that overactivity rather than anything else. Yeah. The dose is important and having it enjoyable is really important, but yeah, yeah, n- absolutely. not doing too much of it. Yeah. I, th- I think the enjoyable bit's really, really important when it comes to Make, you know, forming habits. We are, as, as humans, we're, we're collections of habits. And if we can change a habit or two, then it, it changes effectively who we are, even if people might initially think that that's too difficult to an ask. And I think finding something that's that's relevant, that's routine, that's rational, whether it's walking the dog or walking to work or going up and down the stairs without using the lift, just having those little bits in everyday life, I think is, is really probably more important for many people than what they think of as exercise. There was an interesting study that I read where they looked at sedentary office workers and they divided those into people who did nothing sitting at their desk all day but then went and blasted it off at the gym in the evening, or so they thought. And then other people who didn't do that intense exercise in the evening but instead incorporated into their day just more natural movements, doing things like getting off the bus to stop early before work and going up and down the stairs and drinking water and taking breaks and doing the sort of micro workouts that you suggested at their desks. And actually they were at least as fit, if not fitter and healthier than those who didn't move all day. So I think one of the things that I talk to people about is, you know, you don't need to think of it as exercise. You don't need to think of it as something that requires you to drag a tire around a park while someone shouts orders at you. Whatever you can do that just makes it natural and restore movement to its place in your life. Because we were we were made to move. And you talk about the 45 minutes uh, rule that you have. And I think we've all felt that feeling where we're sitting for too long in a chair and you just begin to ache and get a bit uncomfortable and you have to get up and walk around, don't you? And, and I think that's our bodies telling us that we need to be moving. Yes, yes. And you know, one of the things that uh, is also very good related to that in terms of movement, if, you know, even going to a class, for example, Pilates or yoga, that is a form of physical activity that can be very therapeutic and beneficial. And of course, it's uh, good for your joints, good for, good for stretching, you know, good for people who've got issues maybe with their, with back problems, that kind of stuff that so can actually be quite therapeutic for them as well. So, you know, I say do what you enjoy. I wrote, I think, in um, one of my articles in the Washington Post a few years ago, uh, whether it's um, walking, cycling, or even having sex, regular sex, in fact. I mean, that's a, maybe another topic, but that in itself actually is, is, is a form of physical activity. You know, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, do what you enjoy and, and do it regularly. I think my popularity would definitely go up in the surgery <laughs> if I were able to prescribe that on a regular basis. We might have a queue of people out the door. <laughs> anyway, um, thinking about how age affects us, I think is really interesting. And, and I would imagine as a, as a cardiologist, you, you probably see quite a lot of older people because of course they're more likely on average to have developed heart disease. When you have a conversation with them 
and they raise the issues about perhaps feeling a bit frail or being a bit older or a bit less fit than they once were. What do you say to them about how important it is for them to be on the move? Again, very individual-based, Richard, but it's certainly part of the conversation always with all my patients, both to prevent or treat manage risk factors for heart disease or people who even have heart disease. And uh, one of the things I also tell them, certainly the cardiac patients, is that being regularly active will significantly reduce their risk of having a heart attack and may even stabilize mm. or contribute to stabilizing their coronary artery disease so it doesn't progress. Because people worry about you know, the heart disease, what's going to go on, and do I need further checks, and you know what's happening with the blockages I've got already, et cetera. And there is some good data that shows that. And again, it's, it's very simple stuff. It doesn't have to be massively intense. But you know, a 30-minute brisk walk, certainly people with heart disease twice a day, seems to have some evidence base for stabilizing coronary plaques. Um, you know, reducing the risk of a heart, of actually that, those those clots forming within the arteries. So that I do approach it in that sort of way, and 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 just tell them not to be, you know, because I think the problem is people have a perception of exercise based upon a lot of media stuff. They think it means you've got to go and go into a gym, and they've got to be running, and they've got to be lifting weights, and it looks really difficult and intense. Certainly, from people who haven't been used to that in their lives, and I just say, listen. Just keep it simple. That's all you need to do. I think they they re- it resonates with them because you get you say it's actually not that big a deal when they think, oh, just a 30-minute walk a couple of times mm-hmm. a day, ideally with your partner or a friend or whatever. I've never really had a patient come back to me and saying they don't think they're able to do that. Never had that. That's really good advice. And one of the things that I say to people, which is not my quotes, I, I heard it on a podcast from an orthopedic surgeon, which is that you don't uh, stop moving because you grow old. You grow old because you stop moving. And if you look at places like the Blue Zones, these parts yes. of the world where there's unusual longevity, yeah. uh, there are a number of common themes throughout the Blue Zones that we, we may touch on through the series. But one of them is a life of physical inconvenience, you know, of being active and of being always active on the go to your 90s, to, yes. till you're 100, etc. So I, I encourage people about that because the, the problem of, of muscle loss as you get older, sarcopenia, as yes. it's called, is... The greatest risk factor for that is inactivity. So there is there need be an inevitability about it. And when I see a you know the ninety year old bouncing in their lycra cycling gear who've just stopped on their way to their next bike ride to come in and see the doctor, you know it does it does fill me with hope that yeah. whilst one size doesn't fit all, it's definitely achievable. Now we like to keep it practical on this podcast, so we're moving into our top tips section. And I know we've probably covered some of them in our conversation so far, but. If you had to give a, a couple of your top tips for moving and, and staying active, what, what would you say? I think uh, the ideal scenario is to do it outside. So being out in nature, I think there's an extra bonus of we, we think that there is a, a better response in terms of cortisol and stress as well to the body of being outside, but also exposing yourself simultaneously, ideally to vitamin D if you can, certainly during the you know, non-winter months. So the mm. sunlight, the exposure to sunlight will help vitamin D. And so you get kind of, more bang for your buck. So that's what I'd recommend. Get the baseline walking out in nature as part of your yeah. lifestyle, for sure. And the Japanese call it forest bathing, don't they? Being out in nature, and there is actually a whole branch of medicine devoted to that. So I, I heartily endorse that. One of my tips that I give to people is the idea of just starting from, and we've covered it already, but starting from where you are yeah. and just doing a little bit more. Yeah. And and if you if you move yourself on, it's really simple. If you imagine someone who's inactive looking at the top of Everest, it seems like a very long way to go when they're not even at, at base camp. Sure. And it can be a bit daunting. But if you just say to someone, you know, just how about a five-minute walk up and down the, the road yeah. to start with? As you mentioned earlier on, I think what often then happens is they feel better, so they want to do more. Yeah. 
and not only might their levels of activity increase, but they, they, they then may start to look at other things like their food, their relationships, etc. So that's a, one thing I do stress to people. Another thing I, I talk to them about is really making a plan because it's like someone saying, I will smoke less, I will drink less, I will lose weight in the new year. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? You know, are you going to yes. put your trainers on the mat by the front door so that when yep. you get up in the morning or your yoga mat, so that you're just that bit more likely to do it and to have actually put it into your diary? You mentioned you have quite a good routine, which you really prioritize. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, and it's about at the same time every day. It's something that I've been doing since I was a kid. And it's also that realization. I suppose for me, there's a bit of withdrawal symptoms as well. So that keeps me going. If I don't exercise, I kind of feel like I don't feel good. So it, mm. I think that for me, that's one of the drivers. And my last tip would be really, and we have touched on this, making it enjoyable. When it comes to habits and things sticking, I used to believe that you know if you did something often enough, it would just become a habit, the idea of the sort of 10,000 hours of practice, et cetera. And that's not completely without merit, I don't think. But actually, I think it sticks a lot quicker if you enjoy what you're doing because the reward that you get from that whether it's because you get the buzz of being outside or you're watching your favorite Netflix series on your treadmill whilst you're going, if you associate the two together, I think it sticks a lot quicker and people are more likely to persist with it. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing I would add in as well that maybe help people is uh, listening to music. Even if you go for mm. your walk outside, is having some earphones in, some nice music as well that can just keep you a bit more motivated, just keep you moving a bit longer, less bored. Some people say, well, it's boring. Well, you know, you've got to just try and make it a bit more interesting for yourself. So for me, if I'm cycling, for example, uh, certainly on the exercise bike, or whatever else, if I, you know, if I, I get a lot of my, you know, my, my dose of, of my 30 minutes or whatever yeah. at a certain heart rate every, every day, or at least several times a week, uh, I'll often listen to Guns N' Roses or whatever else that'll keep me going. <laughs> yeah, my wife, whether she's walking or yeah, whether she's walking or, or jogging or a mixture of both, she gets the kids to make playlists for her which help her while she's out and about. And I think you need just the right, just the right tempo. I, when I start, did my first half marathon, all my training was done to the Manic Street Preachers, which, uh, which I found very helpful. Yeah, maybe, maybe I love ambient music, but maybe not whilst I'm running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just about brings it to a close for today. I've very much enjoyed our conversation, Asim. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, Richard. And uh, I hope our listeners have got some useful tips out of that. We'll speak again soon. Cheers. Take care. You've been listening to Wellbeing for Real Life with me, Dr. Richard Pyle. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a nice review and tell other people about it. If you'd like to learn more, my book Fit for Purpose is out now, published by Harper Inspire and available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. You can also follow me on Twitter, YouTube, and my website, wellbeingforreal.life. This podcast was recorded at Monkey Nut Audiobooks. Until next time, Take care of yourself.